hi, I'm Kristen Ludlow from NBA Inside Stuff, and you're listening to the Double Clutch Podcast. Hello there, guys, and welcome to a rare weekend edition of the Double Clutch Podcast. I'm Joe Holbert. I am back on hosting Tuesday, and I'm joined. I think it's the first time we've done this, Baron, but I'm joined by Cavs fan Alex Cole. Hello, Joe. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. It's It's been a good playoff so far. I think a lot of people hate the first round, but I've really enjoyed it. It has been fun. It's been a really busy week as well. Um, just want to say thank you to all our fans that have given us feedback on the 200th episode pod that we did on Tuesday night. Mm-hmm. It really does mean a lot to us. It does, especially for Matt and Andy. Uh, they've they really built this from nothing. Obviously, we're important as well, but you know, without their original hard work, we might not be podding today. So we're obviously going to talk about the NBA playoffs. We're going to start with... With a bit of news, I think. Breaking news. Blake Griffin out for the playoffs. The Clippers are cursed, aren't they, Alex? They really are. They really are. Um, you saw Blake just get a knock there. And he hobbled off. And he did not look happy when he went off. And it is a toe injury. And he seems to be out for the for the whole postseason now. Because they've had injuries pretty much every year I've been watching the playoffs. And actually, the one year they didn't was when they collapsed against the uh, Rockets. So... Just awful luck, and I, we're going to talk a little bit more in depth about this big three in a minute. But do you think that's Blake Griffin's last game in a Clippers jersey? Uh, I probably do. Yes, we'll see what happens with the rest of the playoff series. It was a really, really good, intense game. This and the Utah crowd were fantastic. We've seen some incredible crowds actually uh, this round of of the series. The Utah fans were giving it a, the real go there. Um, Gordon Hayward came out with 21 points in the first quarter, which was a record for the Jazz, franchise record in, in the playoffs. And it really looked like they were going to take it. And the Clippers, to be fair to them, uh, mainly behind Chris Paul, I think this was, this was actually a game of two people and two quarters. Gordon Hayward in the first, coming out strong. And then Chris Paul, as he always does, in, uh, in the clutch of the game there in the fourth quarter, just took over and really carried the Clippers to this win. Yeah, Chris Paul has a ridiculous reputation as a playoff choker, and I don't get it. I don't, I get, don't get that. Like winning, winning, not winning a ring doesn't equal being a playoff choker because teams win rings, not individuals. So, for me, he's the best point guard I've seen since I've been watching the game. Just in terms of pure how he plays it, Stephen Ash is probably second, but Chris Paul, man, he was. I think it's because he doesn't do anything flashy. You know, he's not someone who will he'll run up the field and just shoot a three and transition. He plays the game probably how traditionalists like Charles Barkley like it to be played. But he didn't get a lot of help yesterday. It was really all him. Obviously, Blake went down, so it's not his fault. But J.J. Redick, eight points. He was a non-factor. You know, he's, he's out of contract as well. Redick's struggling, actually, in this series. He really is. Yeah, they got some good perimeter defenders, the Jazz. Uh, Rodney Hood, especially. He's a really good perimeter defender. You've got Joe Johnson, who's been around forever. I think, I think this is a bad matchup for, for JJ Reddick. Because I think the thing is with the, the thing that, the reason he's always open is because people are so worried about DeAndre, but Utah have the personnel to deal with this front court. And I think Reddick has struggled. Yeah, they really do. And, and watching Reddick this season, he gets a lot of his open looks from fast breaks. Where he's, I think me and Mike have spoken about this on the pod before. He's so good and so active that he, he gets to his spot really, really quickly and stays there and it's just always open on 
fast breaks, but Utah are really good at slowing the game down. We talked about that on Tuesday. And in that case, it is a really bad matchup. And they, they, they're quick to get their men on onto Reddick and, and guard him. Yeah, he does a lot of work off screens as well. But Utah have a lot of fast, mobile, good defensive guards. So he really struggles to get going. He, he, it's not just the fact he's not shooting well. It's the fact he's not shooting at all. He only had three attempts from beyond yesterday. Most Bates had more, which isn't ideal if you're Dot Rivers. No, it's not. Um, yeah, and he, even to be honest, the only help really you got at the end there was uh, from DeAndre Jordan, and most of that was was classic Lob City pick and roll and uh, and the alley oop to finish. Yeah, certainly it's been a very interesting series because it's not played out the way anyone expected. So as far as I'm concerned, our predictions are all out of the window now because Gobert's injured, Griffin's injured. Do you still do you think the Clippers can still win this series without? Um, Blake, or is it over? Do you think for them? I don't. It's almost like the the, the two injuries you mentioned there, the Blake Griffin and uh, Rudy Gobert injuries, almost even themselves out. Uh, but Derek Favors is clearly not healthy either. Um, who is Gobert's replacement for Utah in, in the center position there? And Jeff Jeff Whitty is it that, that comes on for him? So yep. they're going to struggle inside uh, against Jordan. Um, but going back. To your question, yes, they can win. I've got this going down to seven games, uh, but I don't really know which way it's going out of the two. Do, do you think they can still win it? It, it depends for me because this is where the bench problem comes in, is that Dot Rivers hasn't built a very good bench. His son's actually quite good, in fairness. I think they're missing yeah. him. Yeah, and Austin Rivers is out injured, isn't he? And yeah. um, I, I noticed Paul Pierce was on the court a lot last night. Yeah, 21 minutes. That's too much. You know, he's. I don't think he's got anything left. He might nod down a corner three, but the interesting thing for me is is that Mabar Mute is an outstanding defender, but he doesn't offer anything offensively, so they're going to have to play a lot smaller, the Clippers, and I just wonder if they've got the personnel to do that. Because at the moment, you're looking at... If they want to stay big, they've got Brandon Bass, who hasn't been good for five years, and they've got Bryce Johnson, who's a rookie. So they're opposite. They're going to have to play Wesley Johnson maybe at the three. I mean, there's not a lot they can do unless they go Twin Towers, which is a massive throwback if they do. Yeah, because both um, Brandon Bass and, and Bryce Johnson haven't actually played this series, I don't think, have they? So they're, they're going to have to look to guys that aren't, you know, aren't part of the series already, which which is a struggle. But um, is Chris Paul's contract up as well as Blake's this summer? It is, but all the insiders think he's not even going to listen to other offers, which I find weird. But you know, whatever floats his boat. Yeah. So to go back to your to your Griffin question, will he leave? Oh, it's, it'll be interesting to see what offers are on the table. But I can imagine he's at least thinking about it. Yeah, JJ Redick, I think, is up as well. So I mean, so that's Griff- that's four of their starting five could all potentially be gone. Do you think Doc Rivers? Is in danger if they, if they fall out of this first series, first round? It's hard to know because I don't really know what they're... I mean, their owner's great. I love him. I think he's really passionate about the game, but I don't know what he's like as an owner. You know, Because for me, Dot Rivers should be in danger, but he's got the injury excuse now. Yeah, but they always have. I almost get the feeling that the Clippers aren't really going to progress whilst they've still got Doc Rivers. Well, the problem is with him, he doesn't develop any young players. So you look at a team like the Spurs, they've got a couple of young guys on the bench, people like Kyle Anderson, 
Um, they've got that Latvian guy at forward whose name is Bertans. Oh, Bertans and Deontay Murray and, and guys that come in and just fit into the system and build in the system. And then in two years' time, they're integral pieces. Yeah, that's the really secret to a successful team. You need the big boys, but you need people always coming through. And the, I'm looking at this clip as Ross. They don't have anyone like that. I agree. I mean, they've got Alan Anderson. He's probably in his 30s now. Yeah, it's just an it's just an old team, but that's the way he's constructed it. Arguably, Austin Rivers is, is the only guy you could point to in that respect. But the rest of the team is kind of a, well, either a throwback to his old Celtics days or just guys, you know, veterans he's picking up as free agents and stuff along the way. It's a, it's a weird roster, really, isn't it, when you look at it in detail? He's like Harry Redknapp. Yeah, good, good comparison. <laughs> he, just, good comparison. he just comes in and signs old guys. But obviously, we could I could rant about Dot Rivers for a whole pod. But before we move on to the future, I just want to get your final prediction for this series. Who's who's winning it and how many games? Okay, so I'll, I'll stick to my guns um, for seven games, and I will stick with the Utah Jazz. Just yeah. a to be different, um, b because I love that home crowd yesterday, and I love Gordon Hayward's performance. Um, Iso Joe is is playing really really well, and I just feel like they're. They've got that edge. I feel like the Clippers will start to tire of this in, in seven games. And yeah, I can see Jazz nicking it in LA again, like game one. I'm with, I'm, I originally had Clippers in five. And if if Griffin was uh, was healthy, I'd stick with that. But I'm going Jazz in seven. I think I don't think the Clippers have the ability to play small and not get destroyed inside by Derek Favors. Boris, even Boris Dion might become more of a factor now. I just don't. I think the Utah Jazz roster is much better structured. So, obviously, that's going to be very disappointing if this Clippers core ends in, well, in this way. Just a mix of bad luck and problems that they've made by themselves. So, we're going to jet across to the other conference now. We're going to visit that, that Celtics Bulls series. So, Boston won last night. They beat. They comfortably won, absolutely comfortably. Gerald Green started. What? What did? What did you think when you saw that Gerald Green was starting? Because I thought it was a joke. Yeah, interesting. So they just wanted a stretch of floor, didn't they? Bring a shooter in, but well, that's that's what one of the commentary teams said. But Green isn't really a shooter. I mean, he's okay, but um, it certainly worked. They came out of out of the gates flying and had a really really good start, which helped. Um, I'm just looking at the box score here and at 33 to 15 after the first quarter. Um, Bulls never really came back from that. Uh, I noticed they're out rebounded again. And Lopez was still a bit of a fawn in the side of the Celtics, but you're right. It never really looked like they were going to lose last night, did it? No, by a joke, I don't mean I was against it, but I thought I'd been fooled by a fake account because. You don't expect to see Gerald Green rolled out in a playoff game in 2017. But in fairness, I like coaches who make adjustments. I don't like coaches who just kind of stick with the same bog-standard starting fight. That's why I'm worried for the Clippers, ultimately. But Yeah, especially in the playoffs, you see that a lot across the board. And, and Pop, Popovich is kind of the master of that when everyone else takes his lead. And to throw, because the opposition are looking at your game plan so intensely... Sometimes it throws off the opposition more than it actually aids your own team. And that's the thing. What what I loved about this game, actually, 
was that the scoring was consistent across the board. You know, you had four guys above 15, Bradley, Thomas, Horford and Crowder. You had Rozier with 11. But one thing I want to say, I think I think he's got to stop playing Kelly Olenek because he is just, he's not offering them anything. No, he, he only usually shoots a three. I mean, yeah, he's a half-decent role player. Um, he, he only had 14 minutes last night. I noticed he got a bucket in the paint last night. He actually actually took the ball inside and scored. So I shouldn't really say <laughs> this isn't the best time to say he's only got a three-point shot. But um, it, they played a couple of young guys for a lot of minutes last night. I wanted to talk about Marcus Smart. When will he stop shooting? <laughs> yeah, it's he's a fantastic defender, isn't he? Like truly one of the best in the league really is. Do you know uh, who I was thinking about when I was comparing him to someone the other day was Cephalosha on the OKC team with Durant and Westbrook, where he used to play intense D and lead the whole team and get them active on on that side of the floor. But on offense, he just wouldn't shoot. (laughs) Yeah. That's the role Smart needs to play, I, I believe. They, I mean, they need perimeter defense, you know. I mean, there's all this talk these days about teams going small and 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 all that, but you have to have good perimeter defenders, otherwise you're going to get shredded on the inside, especially if you've got Al Horford at centre. So I think it's not surprising he plays 29 minutes, but I think he has to be used in the right lineup because otherwise he's essentially he's not offering you much on offense. So I just want to talk about the Rajon Rondo injury, though. If you told me when we were doing our preseason podcast that Rondo would be a miss in the playoffs I would have laughed at you because I didn't even think it'd be on the roster at the end of the year but a huge huge blow isn't it for the for, for the Bulls it really is we were discussing on our WhatsApp group who you'd rather have on your franchise next season Derek Rose or Jean Rondo and I actually used the expression I'd rather shit in my hands and clap <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think I'd, I think I'd give a similar response. <laughs> now I take that back now, but he is playing like the what two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight Rondo. Yeah, and they're really, really one. struggling without him. That was that was the championship year of the Celtics, wasn't it? Two thousand and eight. Uh, yeah, two thousand eight, I think. Yeah, and uh, I mentioned in a tweet earlier. Michael Carter-Williams, who I've never really been a fan of, uh, and one of the Grant, is it Jerry and Grant? One of the Grant brothers um, are the two point guards now for them. And Michael Carter-Williams was bringing the ball up last night and Fred Hoiberg was calling the plays for him from the bench, which is going to slow the game down for you. If you've got the fast break on and you're waiting for the coach to call, you know, call a play for you, it's just... Uh, it just makes the offense more stagnant with those two in. And Rondo, to his credit, when he's making plays, he's incredible. What a playmaker when he actually puts his head on head on the game. Yes, that's, he, that's the one he, thing he's got. Really, he's I, I'm not convinced by his ability, but you're right. He's a very intelligent player. You know, if you ask any of his coaches, even even Rick Carlisle would probably say Rondo will make a good coach one day because he just seems to be. Smart Carter Williams is he's just rubbish. You know, I'm not yeah. I'm not gonna mince my word, he is terrible. He's the opposite to Rondo. Rondo is, as you say, could be a coach one. he's a quarterback, essentially, isn't he? Yep. And um MCW, as I said, I've never really been a fan of him 
because he's almost the opposite from that. He just slows up play and makes wrong decisions and he can't shoot either, which neither can Rondo, but elsewhere you're getting far bigger upgrades with Rondo, especially the way he's playing. And he, he just, he brings the other balls guys into things. He brings the young players, gives them open shots, gives them good looks and they're really struggling without him. It's interesting what you said a minute ago about the offense being stagnant because I think it's already stagnant. But you're right, Rondo makes it makes it bearable. Whereas now, yeah. now it is exactly what we envisioned it to be at the start of the year. And you've got the only player on the bench who I rate is that Paul Zipser. I don't know where he's come from, but he's good. He, you know, he can hit shots. But then, you know, they've really not got much. Yeah, the roster was poorly constructed. Yeah, they're asking. They're asking Wade to carry them really along, obviously, with, with Butler. And that's the thing. When when one of those isn't on, they don't have any because they don't even have shooters on the bench. You know, you've got Anthony Morrow, who's he probably won't be in the league in a year. Denzel Valentine looks like another draft bust that this front office is going. I mean, it's just a strangely constructed roster that I don't think they thought about, but... The one bright spot for me in this series has been Robin Lopez. I've always been quite a big fan of him. I think he's a good character. He's a good player as well. And he's, but he was neutralised yesterday. He only had four offensive boards. Do you think that's that's surely the key going forward, isn't it, for Boston? It really is. Yeah, I mentioned even even last night, the Bulls won the rebounding contest by twelve or thirteen, something like that. I think it was twelve. And um, Lopez can really shine in that environment. Uh, and as can guys like Miritich and Butler can go after go after boards and and second looks, and that's the only way they're going to still take this series. Now I think Chicago is to get so many second looks, second opportunities. It it almost has to come down to Boston throwing it away now by rebounding so poorly. That's the only way I can see Chicago really taking this now, which is strange to say after seeing Chicago go 2-0 up against Boston in Boston. Yeah, that's the thing. I, I, th- I wish when they went 2-0 down Boston, I should have put some money on them to win the series because I just I don't see how the Bulls have got two more wins in them. They might have one just because Butler is the best player in the series, but I it's annoying because the Celtics have lucked out. They've really lucked out here, and I think... Their fans are going to say, oh, you should never have doubted us. But I don't think either of these teams are very good. Like, I think the whoever comes through, I think the Wizards just kill them. Yeah, and let's, let's for a second take stats, take basketball IQ, everything else, take it all away and look at pure emotions. And the Celtics coming away from Boston to play this game in Chicago has almost done them a favour. It's kind of drawn a bit of a line under the... Obviously, I don't want to draw a line under the Isaiah Thomas thing, you know, but it kind of moves them on from that. And this game and this win now kind of almost puts it back at square one. It starts off again from scratch. And Avery Bradley said they watched the video, uh, a KG speech before the game. And they watched that. And after that, they had to win. And they came out and they had to win for Isaiah and his family. And they've done that now. And I think, yeah, they're, they're going to draw a line under it all and it's a new series from now on. I'm with you. It seemed like the pressure was... Not that there was pressure anyway, but 
it seemed a little bit eased. And I think they'll go on and win this series. I really do. I, I know I've slagged them off after the first two games, but that, you know they were bad in those first two games. There's no, you know, there's no sugar coating it. But I think the Rondo injury. I just don't think the Bulls have got enough variety with their bench. Carl Williams, he's not good. He's the worst rookie of the year winner I've ever seen. <laughs> it's a strange. Right? Are you with me that the Celtics are going to win, or do you think the Bulls can still grind it? I think so. Again, this is one I believe is going to go to seven games. I think Chicago have obviously put themselves in the position to win now and they've still got the best player in the series in Butler, as you say, and they've still got Dwayne Wade, which can always, he can always come up with a magic five, ten minutes and single-handedly win the game. And he, uh, yes, he's old and yes, he can't play as many minutes as he could before and he can't quite do the athletic things and get to the rim as quickly as he used to, but he's still Dwayne Wade. So, Yes, I think Boston in seven. I think Chicago have got at least another one win in them. Maybe two. It's very hard to call this one. Yeah, I'm with you. I think the start, just the sheer star power of Butler can get them one win. You know, he's going to have one game where he goes off for like 40 or something like that, and that might be enough. But I'm, I think Boston win this. And it's a shame because I don't think they deserve it. I don't think any team that goes 2-0 down playing the way they do deserves to win a series. I thought they were shocking. But, in fairness to them, they were pretty good last night. They really came out of the blocks. So, this isn't a watchable series for me. I've not enjoyed it at all. I think it's it's been like a chore watching this one. But, but yeah, Boston. Do you think, if Boston go through this round, do you think that momentum could carry them past? It's probably going to be the Wizards, or do you think that's going to be a big stumbling block for them? Well, I kind of imagine Washington will be licking their lips at the prospect of this now. Two two up against the Hawks with one of these two teams waiting uh, in the wings. If Boston go on to win the next three games and play how they were playing in the regular season again, then it will be tighter than that. But at the moment, the Wizards really look in the driving seat. Yeah, I'm with you there. So I think that's a good way to transition, actually, into that series. The Wizards went 2-0 up. I, I don't want to talk about the series as a whole. I want to actually talk about the Atlanta Hawks and where they go from here. Because, look, they may come back and win. But I'm talking realistically. I'm talking about odds. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think they've got enough in them. Where do the Hawks go from here right now? we got the 2-0 down. The team isn't playing. Millsap's not playing well. Corver, his loss has just been felt. But it's amazing that they traded him in the first place and they got absolutely they got Mo Williams through I don't even think he's in the league anymore. Where do they go from here in your opinion? No, I think Mo Williams has retired, but his contract keeps getting bounded around, um, as far as I'm aware. But yeah, they I I I actually had them as my dark I there's got to be one dark horse in your predictions before the playoffs. And I had Atlanta just because it was a four and five matchup in the East and they weren't too far away from each other in the standings, but it doesn't look like they're going to take much. A game three in Atlanta at the Phillips arena will be quite key. Get their crowd behind them and get them playing. Uh, Dwight Howard is not looking good at all. And he's looking like the guy that we all kind of, thought he was over the last couple of seasons at the Lakers and the Rockets. He looks 
almost like a negative effect on that team. Uh, Millsap, I think Millsap's contract's up this summer, is it? Yeah, I think I think that's one of the reasons Atlanta fans are so angry is because they didn't trade him at the death. Someone would have given something up for him. It's Paul Millsap. He's probably a top 20, 30 player in the league. But they, got yeah. no, they didn't get, they're not going to get anything because he's not staying. There's no chance he stays, in my opinion. Now, their journey to the playoffs this season is quite a strange one because it looked like they were starting to rebuild with the trade of Corver and, uh, and Al, well, Al, Al Horford in the summer. And um, it looked like they were going to rebuild completely. And then they actually kind of put together a few decent wins and obviously took them up to fifth in the standings, which is very good for, for the roster that they have. And Mike Budenholzer is kind of facing a bit of a losing battle there, I think. Yeah, they've they've not got any outside shooting. I think that's the problem. Because Millsap, he can hit them. He's not, he's not a stretch for by any means. You know, he's not like Ryan Anderson. He's, no. He's not going to drain them. Consistently, Schroeder's not really a three-point shooter. Tim Hardaway can be, but too inconsistent. That's where they struggle. I mean, um, Schroeder's probably the worst starting point guard in the playoffs. Uh, Tim Hardaway is fun as hell to watch. Uh, he needs to he needs to have a really really good series for them to come out of this for sure. Um, it's, it just feels like to me they're turning the ball over. Washington won it more as well. Gortat is well we mentioned on Tuesday actually from game one, but game two also. Uh Gortat was really good. John Wall is on fire. Bill is playing well and fit and healthy, which is key. And uh Otto Porter and the rest of the guys the rest of the role players from Washington are, are looking more interested and they can almost start thinking about the second round already. Yeah, I think the problem Atlanta have when they had Kyle Corver, he was such a threat all the time because all you need to do is bring him off the screen and he can hit the shot. They yeah, don't, and I, they no, don't have that anymore. No, you're right, and that that opens up space for um, for Millsap inside as well when when people are guarding Corver and that well any outside shooter for that matter. Yeah, people yeah. people are terrified of Corver because he's probably the best shooter in the league over the last four or five years or so and they don't have you know I like Hardaway I agree with these funds well but he's not a sharpshooter by any means no and this is to me where you said the Boston Chicago series um, you struggle to watch I haven't really struggled to watch this one I'm just not quite as interested in watching this one as I am in some of the other series no it's it's, it's a shame because I liked this Atlanta team a couple of years ago but there's not a lot there I, I like Taurine Prince I think he's going to be a good player but outside of that They've not got a lot of young talent, in my opinion. They've you know, they've not got a high pick this year either. They didn't get anything. Millsap's going to walk, and they got no. Even if they'd managed to trade him to someone like I don't know the Wizards, and they'd got and even someone like Kelly Oubre in return, at least that's something to build around. Whereas they've they're not going to get anything for him, which is a shame. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do this summer. And I, I can see, I can see this series probably ending up four-one. Maybe by default, Atlanta will win a game at home over the next two. But it could be a sweep, to be honest, from what we've seen. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. It wouldn't surprise me if it was a sweep. It's not a disrespect to Atlanta. I just think this Wizards team is really good. Yeah, Scott Brooks proven all of us wrong. I don't think anyone really rated him coming into the year, but he's he's done a great job. And 
they're probably the biggest threat to your calves, and that's how I'm going to transition. What a comeback. Look, I think I was chatting to someone about this on after the comeback happens, and I said this year in the NBA, we have seen so many historic things, and we just kind of brushed them off. We're like, yeah, that's the norm. Like Russell Westbrook getting as many triple doubles as he did. Carl Anthony Towns just rocking up and averaging something like 28 and 20 after the All-Star. We are seeing historic moments. And your Cavs comeback, it falls right into that. Yeah, it's been an incredible season. And it's just an incredible time to be an NBA fan. Uh, and this, the other night, was a fantastic reason to be a Cavs fan. Uh, it was, well, it wasn't. So I woke up at 4 o'clock in the morning to watch this game before work. And at half time, I, ne- I nearly opened a beer <laughs> at five o'clock in the morning because it was horrendous. And the defence didn't look interested again. Uh, the Pacers had 74 points in the first half. And I was going to write on, on our double clutch WhatsApp group, but I was, I was close to giving up with that defence. It was really awful. Uh, but what a second half. Legault, he is fantastic, isn't he? LeBron James. 41 points on the game. Um, he made some killer frees, which is LeBron. The great thing about LeBron is he's not a great three point shooter, but when he really, really needs to make them, he can make two or three on in a row. And there was one point he was just getting to his spot on the floor, just pulling. He almost looked like Steph Curry at one point. <laughs> but the, um, the key to the game was the defense in the second half. And uh, Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving were benched for the fourth quarter and Ty Lue just rolled with the with the team he had on with the experienced guys like Darren Williams and Channing Fry. Uh Carl Corver in there too with, with a few fantastic daggers from deep. Uh Tristan Thompson I want to give a big shout out to on, on defence because he was incredible in the second half on that side of the floor and he was getting his fingertips to everything and getting fast transition offense started and fair play to him. He had a really, really good game. Yeah, the thing that interested me is that the start of the fourth quarter was really when you started, you know, hammering the nail in. But Love wasn't on the court, and I don't think Kyrie was either. No, so you, as soon as they came out from the break. Yeah, that you really, really started to turn it off. I thought Channing Fry was good as well. Yeah, he's very one-dimensional, but it's a good dimension in a way. Um, the thing I liked, actually, I obviously as a Minnesota fan... A lot of Minnesota fans don't really like Kevin Love. I think he's great. I think he was a great server. I was really happy to see him pumped up on the sideline because yeah, he never really was like that in Minnesota, probably because he was surrounded by such rubbish players on the whole. But it was good to see that team chemistry back that's always there. A lot of people don't look at that because you know, people like stats and that, but I think team chemistry and body language matters in the playoffs. And I think it was good to see that togetherness. It really does, and it's a very good indication of the egos of Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love to be able to sit out and still be that pumped at the end of the game that their team has won. And when people talk about all season um, LeBron being the GM and bringing his guys in and being bringing these experienced guys in, these are the exact situations why the Cleveland Cavaliers organization brought these guys in. So with the experience that they've got and the know-how they've got, they can get everyone fired up and they can win a game that really, really did not look winnable at halftime. No, the defense in the first half was shocking, uh, to say the least. But 
I want to now switch to Indiana from their perspective. So they blew, was, was it a 26-point lead? I mean, it was a big lead, but I think 26 was the exact number. That's yeah. embarrassing. Yeah, it was a joint NBA record. Oh, my God. So that's the thing. We're witnessing historic things, and people are just kind of going, yeah, it's normal, because that's how special this crop of talent is. But I, I couldn't believe it when I was watching it unfold, because I'm not a big Pacers guy. I don't really like the roster at all. But for a team with Paul George, Fad Young, Jeff Teague, Miles Turner, to blow a 26-point lead, that is not a good indicator for Nate McMillan, is it? No, it's not. And they looked like the team they were when they played in London against Denver earlier on in the year. A lot of us and our listeners will have seen and they were not good that day in London. And in the second half, they looked like that same team. Miles Turner had quite a poor um, game one and two. Uh, for his for his standards and he was a guy that we we're all so excited about him developing as a young guy and he is still a fantastic player and he and he showed it in the first half of this get this game three and it looked like you know they'd really really you know pulled some confidence back after games one and two and we're, we're going to take this in the second half yeah the wagon just fell off its wheels um and they were just yeah giving away poor turnovers. Just Cavs were the Cavs defense were, were affecting them. And this is another team that I think will probably blow things up and start the rebuild. It's it's almost a similar situation to Atlanta is that we haven't really been sure if they've been rebuilding or not for the last season or two. But when you've got Paul George, they've, they've tried to Larry Bird's tried to fit guys around him. Um, guys like Monte Ellis and people like that, and it's just they're just not good enough. Uh, that's what it simply comes down to. I think they're just not good enough. No, the whole philosophy's flawed as well. You know, under Frank Vogel, they were a team who was saying we're going to be defensive and we're just going to give it to George and let him do his thing. Whereas Bird this summer, when we're going to run up tempo offense, but they they don't have guys who fit that really. Yeah, Jeff. I don't care what anyone says, Jeff Teague is nowhere near as good as George Hill. George Hill has his flaws. He's a much better point guard than Jeff Teague. Thad Young's a good pickup. I feel a bit sorry for him because he always seems to join teams when they're on the uh, when they're on the down rather than on the up. I think there's gonna be a lot of suitors for him, but this Paul George is gone for me. You know, you, all you have to do is watch one of his interviews. And Pacers fans, if you say it on Twitter, they get really defensive about it. They say, Oh, it doesn't mean that, he's just he just cares, but he's gone. He is gone, so. Yeah, I think you're right. And when you uh, mentioned there, Larry Bird tried to quicken up the offense this season after Vogel, who was a great defensive coach. They came out and said, "Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna quicken up the offense. We're gonna play faster basketball." And they bring in Al Jefferson. Yep, and Aaron Brooks. Bizarre. And Aaron Brooks. And Kevin, Kevin Serafin. Yeah, and neither of those two first names you mentioned played on Wednesday night, or Thursday night, whenever it was. Neither of them played, which just about sums it up this season. Well, that's the thing. This summer, Indiana were, sorry, last summer, they were saying, oh, we're going to go after it. So, you know, when I was reading Indiana articles, people saying that they want, you know, people like Alan Crabb, Tyler Johnson, people who can shoot, basically, because you can't run an up-tempo offense without shooting. So and his first signing was Al Jefferson. And I was like, well, that doesn't make sense. You fired Frank Vogel for not running a high high powered offense, 
and you've a point and you've signed a guy who's pretty slow. He's Jefferson's good, but he's not an up tempo player by any means. So the whole concept's flawed. I I'm interested to see what happens with Larry Bird. I think Nate McMillan's gone. I think they'll it'll be a one and done. But I'm interested to see what happens with Bird because he's built this team. You know, there's a lot of problems for Indiana. McMillan's not a good coach. But they don't exactly have the pieces to run a, an offer. You, you look at their forwards on the bench. You've got Lavoy Allen, Rakeem Christmas, Kevin Serafin, and Al Jefferson. They're, none of them could shoot. None of them are fast, athletic. They're all just kind of like plodders. You've summed it up completely there, Joe. You've said to play a fast, uh, fast offense, you need shooters. And you look down their roster and they haven't got any shooters. So it's like trying to, what's the expression? Trying to fit a square piece into a round hole. Yeah. Is that essentially CJ Miles? I think is the only guy that I would almost trust with the ball on the perimeter to shoot. And Paul George, obviously, even even guys like Monte Ellis is a streaky shooter, really streaky shooter. Oh yeah, he's not. A, he's not going to. He's not going to get you above thirty, thirty-five percent from downtown. They needed guys like, even if they're one-dimensional, they could have got with someone like Alan Crabb or. There's plenty of guys out there who can just come on and, and shoot. They could have even got Teletovic. You know, they need you need special and and also basketball. You don't just turn up to a team and go right. We're going to play at pace. You have to have a guy in who coaches that system. So they could have gone for someone like Mike D'Antoni, but for whatever reason, they thought Nate McMillan would be a good idea. And it's frustrating because they're probably going to get swept. But that's a good thing because this series has been. It's just been frustrating. Indiana don't belong in the playoffs. Yeah, Miami would have been much more competitive. It would. Um, I've had a lot of fun watching it, and at least the games have been very close. But I think it's about time the Cavs stepped up now. One worry I would have from that game is, yes, it's all sunshine and daisies afterwards when you bring a lead back like that. But in reality, that first half shouldn't have happened and LeBron shouldn't have had to play 45 minutes in that game. That's only three minutes off the court. And yes, he's an Iron Man, and he never gets injured, but the guy needs his rest. So I, re- I really do hope that Cleveland can sweep Indiana now, and that will give them a good week or two off. Well-needed break. Yeah, best-case scenario for me is you get up early, and then you know fourth quarter you can play guys like Dante Jones and... Richard Jefferson for big minutes because hopefully you'll have a big lead. We're sticking in the East. We're going to go over to Toronto. This was an embarrassment, to put it lightly. Uh, I feel sorry for Jordan, who's our resident Raptors fan. That first half, I mean, I've only just started covering this team. And that first half was, I was angry. Well, I wasn't angry. I was annoyed at it. I'm not even a Raptors fan, so I don't know how Raptors fans feel. They were down by 30 at one point. It was... It was humiliating. Yeah, so we're we're like the polar opposite, Joe, aren't we? You you get frustrated by that, uh, whereas I get so happy to see some some good defense. And it's a tough one, really, because do we give credit to the Milwaukee Bucks here, or do we slam the Toronto Raptors, or do we honestly probably do a little bit of both? I'd do a bit of both. I mean, my the Bucks defense is brilliant. Fon Maker is. The breakout star. I mean, we we had a question a few weeks ago: who's going to be a breakout star? And I think Fon Maker is the guy who is being that. He's he's so quick to get out to the perimeter, and that's the thing. They are starving the Raptors at the outside shot, but the Raptors' offense is too basic. It's just it's the most simple offense in the league. It's a lot of pick and roll. There's not a lot of action off the ball. 
it's just rubbish. I could coach that offense. You know, I the- it's it's just the NBA has evolved, and Dwayne Casey doesn't seem to have evolved with it. And the key thing is as well that the Milwaukee Bucks can defend that because they're so long, yeah, uh, and they're so good at having guys that can switch positions and switch off the pick and roll and and move over to to a different man and, and protect the basket still. And yeah, their defense was fantastic. It really was. And the crowd was really amped up. It was the best. It was almost an impression of the Toronto crowd, actually. It was the best crowd I think I've seen this playoffs. They were buzzing to have uh, playoff basketball in Milwaukee with a team that looked like they're going to be able to do something. Yeah, they've drafted really well the last couple of years. You know, even outside, you know, they got Brogdon in the second round. They got Maker. Um, not sure about Rashad Vaughn. They got Middleton a while ago. So they've they've drafted well. And they've drafted a type of player, as you said, rangy guys who can defend multiple positions. And the Raptors haven't got an answer for it. Yeah, and Tony Snell as well is is doing really what a pickup he was in the, in the end. From he he was a direct trade for Michael Carter Williams, which we spoke about earlier on the pod. And I know which one I prefer to have now. Uh, Snell's the kind of guy that you look at the box score after the game and and you, you wouldn't notice him on there, but when he's out there on on the defensive end of the floor, he's he's great. And a lot of their projects, Milwaukee, have, have given themselves a really really hitting home. That they've kind of gone for high risk, high reward players. So guys like Giannis, even you know, slightly unknown when he was drafted has obviously turned out to be incredible. Fon Maker, the same. Uh, and I was I was actually on the drop on Thursday, and we were talking about Giannis and his attributes and how he's shaping up to be a superstar in this league. Um, and I'd like to get your opinion on it. The question was, would you start a franchise around him? And is he, I took that as, is he a superstar? And the only doubt I had is that he you can't put the ball in his hands for the final shot of a game. Because if you look at the Bucks in the past, they've often gone to guys like Middleton, um, even, well, Parker, Jabari Parker once, got even guys like Malcolm Brogdon, the rookie, has taken, has taken the ball in his hands at the end of a game. How do you feel about that? Because that was my only slight on Giannis's game, was that he couldn't do that. And he couldn't take over a game down the stretch like LeBron or Kobe could. But this playoffs is looking like he can actually do that. I, I, I'd build a franchise around him over any other player in the league. I mean, obviously, I'd rather have LeBron, but LeBron's, what, 31 now? So if I'm looking long-term success, I'd build around Giannis. I think you've got to remember LeBron didn't have three-point shot when he came to the league. I think, I think he can develop it. I've, I think that's the thing. Like as you said about ten minutes ago, LeBron isn't a good three-point shooter, but when he needs to hit one, he always does. It seems. I think that's what Giannis kind of is getting. He was two for two against Toronto. I remember both threes very well as well. They were both they were both good shots. It's about the thing is with a guy like that. It's about building the right team around him, and they've got you need shooting around him, and you need pick and roll partners, and they've got both of them in abundance. So. I do think he's a superstar already. Um, I think my my team finally has one as well, which is great. There's a lot of good young players in here, and Giannis absolutely fits that bill. And another guy, Michael Beasley, he, he went off to China a couple of years ago. He was great as well. 
he even he was winding up Lowry. Did, I don't know. If, did you see that video? Yeah, I'm really I'm really glad you mentioned him actually because I've got him in my notes there playing 20 minutes and shooting five of nine and uh, three of three from deep. It was it was a really good performance and getting in, into the Raptors' face, like you say. Yeah, he's he's we had him in Minnesota not not for that long actually, but I liked he he wasn't very good, but he was always there was always drama with him, which I liked. I like drama, so obviously the Bucks deserve a lot of credit. But for Toronto going forward, let's just say they lose this series, and I'm I'm not sure what I'm going to predict yet. I predicted Raptors in five. That's out of the window, obviously. But surely Dwayne Casey can't keep his job if they lose this series. Yeah, it's um, it's almost a similar situation to the Clippers in that before this season, we've kind of said, right, this team should progress now. Uh, and if they don't, then that's it for them. Or well, certainly it for Dwayne Casey. Uh, I'm going to fire some stats here that basically sum up this game for Toronto. Uh, at halftime, they had 30 points. At full time, they only had 77 points. DeMar DeRozan, arguably their best player, didn't get a field goal, which is a mental stat. It's horrendous. He went zero from eight with eight points in total. Uh, Cole Lowry was okay, 13 points, four of 10. But when DeRozan's not taking over the game, you expect Lowry to. Uh, Valanciunas got 20 minutes, three from nine. It's all not very good reading, is it? Yeah, I'm the way I'm looking at it, I'm looking at it, I'm blaming coaching and players. So the Toronto offense is a half-court offense, and it's it's outdated. There's absolutely no doubt about that for me. But the players in, in Dwayne Gase's event, they're not winning the one-on-one matchups. And regardless of whether you're running that offense or seven seconds or less, if your players aren't winning one-on-one matchups, you're not going to have success. Yeah, I'm, I'm praising Tony Snell here, guys like that, um, Malcolm Brogdon, Delavadova. You put any of those three guys on DeRozan, and really you expect DeRozan to come out on top, don't you? Oh yeah, definitely. You know, he's one of the best players in the league, and he just didn't not win his matchups and. The thing that concerned me, actually, with Toronto was that a lot of their offense was dump-offs to Serge Ibaka. So he had eight shots, which doesn't seem like that many. But when you look down the box score, the only players who had more than that were Lowry and Valanciunas. Serge Ibaka, don't get me wrong, I think he can hit threes. But if he's a big part of your offense, you're not going to win a championship. He, He, for me, should be the fourth or fifth option on the court at one time. I don't think he's a... You people talk about him like he's a stretch four. I don't think he is. At all, he's yeah. He's not like Ryan Anderson or Carl Anthony Towns or Al Horford. He's he can hit them, but you don't want that being a big part of your offense. And Dwayne Casey just ran out of ideas. It, the the weirdest thing was for me, he kept running with three point guard lineups, but you can't do that against Milwaukee because they're so big. Yeah, he lo- he loves to bring on those guys like Corey Joseph, doesn't he, and um, Delon Wright and players like that. Yeah, to his get- credit, Delon Wright was he was a plus zero in 27 minutes. So, I mean, he was okay. But Joseph was minus 22. He was one for five, uh, three assists, but that doesn't matter if you're going one for five. Just bizarre. Bizarre all round. And Milwaukee, I think it's a bad matchup for Toronto in hindsight. But they should, they could do more. They can do better with the with the players they've got. Yeah, game four is absolutely huge here. 
Uh, but I love to see Milwaukee doing so well on a positive note. And a Milwaukee Cavs second round would be would be quite fun. It will. God, that'd be great. That'd be like LeBron versus mini LeBron. Although, <laughs> although I'm not going to compare him to LeBron yet because that's a bit bit extreme. But certainly, the bet, as far as I'm concerned, the best player of that generation versus potentially the best player of the upcoming generation. So that would be probably a much more marketable series. I don't think Toronto are very marketable. Yeah, I don't. I don't think people tune in and go. I'm really looking forward to watching the Raptors tonight. For right or wrong. Yeah, I just don't think people think like that. Um, so we're going to jet back across the way. And this is the final game we're going to talk about. We're not going to talk about every series because as far as I'm concerned, I don't see the point in talking about Warriors-Blazers. There's, there's zero point. The Warriors beat them by 30 without without their best player. So that's all you need to know about that series. We're going to finish on Grizzlies-Spurs. Did you see the ovation for David Fisdale? Yeah, I did. Wasn't it brilliant? Oh, it's great! I really like him. I think the I think the league needs more outspoken character. There's too many coaches who are just kind of you know they're safe. They don't they don't they don't have personalities. Quite a lot of them, but he's he's great. You know, yeah. They're releasing those shirts now. Take that for data. <laughs> it's it's just another great storyline in this uh, already fantastic playoff series. Um, but even aside from that. A bit of a coaching masterstroke was um, starting Zach Randolph in this game, and I actually believe that that's what made the difference. Yeah, he was great. I watched the first half, and I was second on condenser next day. But he he hit a corner three, and they zoomed in on Popovich, and he looked like he'd just seen a ghost. <laughs> so that shows that Fisdale has evolved this offense a little bit because it wasn't a fun offense to watch under Lionel Hollins and Dave Yeager. Um, the Spurs, they weren't very good, to be honest with you. Tony Parker didn't have any points. And th- this this is my issue with them, is that I think Parker's done. I don't think he's got a lot left in the tank. But outside of him, Patty Mills is a good player. But you look at the bench, they're relying on players who may or may not turn up on any given night. I just... I don't think they can go any further than this series. I know that's weird to disrespect a dynasty, but I'm looking down this team now. I just don't see how they've got enough scoring power to keep up with other teams. Yeah, it's it's an interesting take. It's one that I will probably have to disagree with. I just don't think you can write off the Spurs. I mean, we do it every single season. We do it many times a season. It comes back to bite us in the arse. For me, uh, I think Memphis was great. Got the ball inside to Zach and and Gasol always always does his thing inside, and they won this game in the manner that they had to win it. And Mike Conley, I thought, was great as well. Um, and I actually do agree with all the uh, the Mike Conley underrated opinions that that go around. I agree with that. But don't get me wrong, this Spurs team is great, and I think this is just an anomaly, and we'll see them go back to. Back to their best in the next game. Yeah, Pop the Grizzlies won't, won't take anything other than that. The Grizzlies don't have a lot of depth, do they? You know, they had a guy Wayne Seldon played twenty eight minutes. I didn't know who he was until the until this season. So I'm not saying that means he's bad, but they don't have a lot of known names on that team. I think they've done a good job to win one game. To be honest with you, you know, with the injury, Chandler Parsons is robbing them of money. 
Yeah. Yeah, and you see the minutes that some of the guys like Andrew Harrison or is it Andrew or Aaron? I think it's Andrew. This, this I one, think it's one Andrew. Of, one of the twins. Um, he had 25 minutes, which is too many. I mentioned in our pod on Tuesday night that Vince Carter was playing far too many minutes. He had 36. Oh so it's God. just, yeah, they're just, they're not deep enough, as you say, and they're just trying to stretch resources, essentially. Yeah, there's, there's certainly. There's not a lot of depth here, and I do. I'm with you. I think the Spurs are going to come, are going to come through. But for Memphis moving forward, they're still stuck with this core. They got Conley, Gasol, Randolph, all tied down. I mean, I assume they that they're just going to be content with being a playoff team for the next couple of years again, and then they'll blow it all up at some point. Yeah, it's a funny one. We we could almost have our own pod on this topic, but. Yeah, for me, it looks like they're just constantly going to be that team that's sitting around, you know, the middle of the seeds. Um, where'd they finish? Well, they finished seventh this, this season, didn't they? Anywhere between five and eight, really. They're going to, they're going to sit and have sat for the last few years. And until it gets to a point, as you say, where they just blow it up. But they've certainly got some, some class players there and some grit and some grind. But it'd be, it'd be interesting to see which direction Fisdale takes them in, to be honest. Yeah, certainly there's a lot to be excited about moving forward. They've got a more modern coach than the Lionel Hollins was, certainly. But we're going to end the podcast there. As you said, if we didn't speak about your series or the you know the series you that you're really interested in, I think we went through five of them today out of the eight. So, But don't panic. There will be a lot of future pods. We are aiming for two for a week at the moment. Um Obviously, my team aren't in the playoffs, which kind of limits the the depth of the discussions we can have. But we are we are planning more shows as well, non-playoff shows. So next week, I did I did tell everyone this tonight. So we're having a uh, we're having a podcast on non-playoff teams because obviously they deserve to be spoken about as well. So if you've got questions for that, please tweet us because obviously we can't read your mind. Of that, anything you want to add, Alex, before we go? No, it's been really fun, Joe. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, to all the listeners, we'll be we'll be trying to fire these pods at you throughout the playoffs to just give you a bit of a brief recap and catch up on uh, on proceedings so far in the playoffs and something for you to listen to twice a week. Yep, and we're also we're planning more draft stuff this year as well. We're not going to go into college basketball at all, but we are going to do some prospect analysis, which should be fun. Uh, I think me, Thomas, and Jordan are heading that up. So, but yeah, yeah, any... so that's a really good project, guys. Um, but we'll, yeah, we're looking forward to that. But we'll talk about that after the Cavs have won the playoffs on the championship. Uh, <laughs> I, I love the optimism. I don't get optimistic about the team, but it's goodbye from me, and it's goodbye from Alex. Ante Tokumbo. So my parents struggling, so I was like, I gotta do something. Buzz was all about getting to beat society on a different way. We gotta win because they don't let me score in life. That's when we introduce ourselves to Greece. Next year. 
we go to the U.S. I had no idea if we're going to be able to draft him. with a strong finish. He's just scratching the surface of who he can be someday. The best player in the world. I want to be the guy that worked hard for everything here. Eventually, everybody will know my name. 